I'm Stuart Brand. This seminar about long-term thinking is brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. If you would like to see high-quality videos of the talks in the series, including this one, they are available online for Long Now members at longnow.org. Hi there. Hi. So you know from our, our brief waiting conversation that I did not look you up and you did look me up, but now I know that you're interested in space and also in business. That's, both are true. So talking about global business, I'm assuming that that's uh, working on the gap, the, say the wealth gap, if you will, or the business gap. Is that, is that sort of an accurate statement, or you're just interested in any business that's global? Well, what do you mean by the, what, what do you mean by the gap? Well, you know, we're richer. They're not. Right, that gap. Uh, well, yes, in the sense of uh, my view is that if the whole world is getting richer, then almost everybody's getting richer. So the theory is to stimulate global growth worldwide. So is all growth good growth? Most growth is good growth. Okay, so you, are you concerned about pieces of the pie, who's getting pieces of the pie, how they're investing to get them? Of course. I think equity is a, is a huge issue. And the way in which the system in many countries, including our own, is working today uh, is not actually delivering equity. Do I have, is, is John Perry Barlow still here? Is, is outside. I realize that actually John Perry Barlow is the psychedelic Robert Reich. If you look at John and, and see Robert Reich, actually, it's actually Robert Reich in disguise. Uh, he's actually the psychedelic Robert Reich. Because Reich is, of course, that's his great sure. preoccupation, is mm -hmm. uh, economic equity. Right. Well, the project that I work on is trying to do knowledge equity, which is why it's interesting to me that they paired us to speak, because uh, I've spent a lot of my life in what we're now calling the global south, trying to figure out how to give away more, because it bothers me, that, that lack of equity. And I look at Africa now. It's very hard to get people to invest in Africa. Understandable. Because they're in the early stages still. They're still you know, cleaning the swamps up and stuff, right? And yet I look at China investing in, the Sudan, in uh, Sudan or places like that. And, uh, and it's really an interesting question. Like, that's a pretty, pretty long-tail investment there, <laughs> you know? Well, look, look, you work for Wikipedia. I do. And, and I have said for a number of years now, I think Wikipedia is the most important anti-poverty tool the world has invented in a very, very long time. Uh, I think the impact of what you and your colleagues, Jimmy's a good friend, are doing is hard to overestimate. If we're in a global knowledge economy, and knowledge is really the real source of wealth, not resources and minerals and so on, mm -hmm. then the fact that any kid on the planet now with web access, and that's now on the order of two to four billion people, means that they have access to essentially all the world's knowledge for free. You have changed the game as fundamentally as anybody can change the game. Well, yeah, as a movement, we've done that. That's true. It's a, it's a huge movement, you know. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, futurism and humanism and how they're linked, because there are plenty of futurists that will tell you that the world is ending and, you know, blah, blah, right? But, but the idea of doing something about it, I had this totally strange conversation at, at TED earlier this year with, uh, with a famous technologist who has decided he's done the math and he's decided that there's no point in trying to save the earth in any way like it is just it's a, it's a zero-sum game and it goes something like this uh, if everything is money if energy is money then if you buy products that are green they're more expensive therefore you're netting the same you know expand the expenditure 
And, and besides which, we're just a blip in the geological history of this planet, so we might as well burn faster. And on that basis, he drives a Humvee or, or something <laughs> like that, right? And it was so depressing to have well, to listen to this of conversation. I mean, if you look at what's happened by way of human progress in the last 250 years, and you compare how we live versus anybody a century ago, two centuries ago, three centuries ago, and you look how many people live well today compared to even 50 years ago or 100 years ago, and how many are likely to live well 50, 100, 200 years from now. In 300 years, if you look at the long-term population forecasts of the Earth from the UN, uh, we could be down to two or three billion people with an average global income at the bottom Okay. Mm -hmm. So that the lowest paid person in the world would earn in real terms, and allowing for inflation, sure. the equivalent of $100,000 today. Mm. That's if just simply the current trends continue for the next few centuries. Uh, so we're on the right track. We have been on the right track for the last couple hundred years, and the pessimists have got it wrong. The yeah. optimists keep getting it right. Well, one of the things I, that drew me to Wikipedia and that I love about Jimmy is how he talks about the nice people. You know, people who contribute to Wikipedia are the nice people. They're, they, have, they have some generosity in their souls, and they aren't, they aren't troubled by the fact that they're not being um, monetarily remunerated for their work, right? Well, look, it really works. Wikipedia is a perfect example of the network economy working. And that is that networks only work by virtue of what you put into them, not what you take out of them. Networks do not exist because you extract things. Networks exist because you put things in. And we now live in a global network economy that would not exist were people not creating websites, not mm -hmm. creating opportunities for mutual interaction and learning and capability. So in fact, when we move from the resource economy in which you got the steel or I got the steel, but we both can't have the steel. You have the oil or I have the oil. We both can't have the oil, but we can both have the knowledge. We can well, both participate and communicate. But there was a time in human history where suppression of knowledge was the way that you controlled people, sure. right? That was the whole church thing. Right. So, it, it Even they can't get away with it anymore as they learn. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you seem optimistic. I'm very optimistic. Well, that's totally. Good. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. No, no I'm, you know, I, 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 my kid is 20 years old. I expect him to see the next couple centuries. Now, how important do you think freedom in the sort of abstract sense is, not the, not the W. Bush kind of freedom, but the real freedom. Because we spend a lot of time thinking about free culture, free knowledge. You know, It's not just that it's culture and knowledge, it's free. And free as in you can use it too, and you don't have to pay anybody anything. It's nice if you put a little sweat equity into it, You know, maybe write a couple pages. But the, the, the reason I ask is because there are people in Taiwan who do nothing but figure out how to tunnel through the Chinese firewall to get Wikipedia translated content into China because it's, it's censored there by the government. And it's, it was really dangerous if you're a Chinese national read it, to read it, but people still do because they're so hungry for knowledge. Um, I think a lot about that. Like, is it even possible? Will there still be repressive regimes? Oh, they'll try, but the, eventually they lose. They can't. Look, it, it, knowledge, uh, not in the, in, in the economic sense, wants to be free, but I think you're right. I think it flows. Uh, and it's unstoppable. Uh, Stuart and I had dinner with uh, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev a few years after he left office here in San Francisco. He had a small dinner, and uh, we got to ask him an interesting question, which was, why did the Soviet Union end? Mm. And he said, it was very clear, it was the satellite dish and the PC. When our people <laughs> could see the rest of the world and we couldn't control what they believed, game over. The real heroes of the revolution were Ted Turner, Steve Jobs, the guys who, um, and George Soros, who opened up the information game Mm -hmm. for uh, the Russian citizens and 
then the game was over. And you know, the fastest growing Wikipedia right now is the Russian one. Not surprising. We don't even know why. I mean, at Wikipedia, we, or Wikimedia Foundation, we're not quite sure why Russia is the winner right now, but people are just giving them content constantly. You know, English Wikipedia has, has plateaued a little bit. Apparently, you know, three million plus articles is a plateau. But there's, <laughs> but there's lots of languages where they're still tiny, and, and we're going to do a lot of evangelism in the next five years to try to get some of those global south countries to start building their own content and because there's a built-in resentment of things that come from the U.S. in a way. You know, people want to own. I mean, participation Which is, is right. ownership. They should. Right. They should. They absolutely should. I mean, the mission is imagine if everyone in the world had access to the sum of human knowledge in their own language. Absolutely. So. Well, and I, look, I think one of the most painful statistics that came out of the Arab Human Development Report that was published a few years ago was that out of the several hundred thousand books published in the world every year, mm-hmm. 400 are translated into Arabic. Yeah. 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 You know, it's a culture making itself systematically stupid. Uh, and, you know, I think Wikipedia is a very important vehicle to breaking that. Which, which culture is that, you think? I mean, Arab, the Arab world is a billion people, right? Right. And no, no, the Arab world is a billion The Islamic cultures. world is a billion oh, okay. people. Fair the enough. Arab world is mostly around the Gulf and North Africa, it's a few hundred million people. Hmm. You know, I, I, I did Peace Corps time in Morocco, one of those Arab countries. Ghana. <laughs> Peace Corps Ghana. What is it about people who did Peace Corps? <laughs> what can I say? I mean, I did it because I believed in, in service, but I didn't want to carry a gun. And Vista was already gone. So, you know, right out of college, signed up for the Peace Corps. Me too. Yeah. 1968. Oh, mine was a little later than that, but not by much. And, and it, what I learned in Peace Corps, and it was a crash course, is it's, it's what you do as an individual. It is not this organization that you work for because, frankly, it wasn't the, an exemplary example. In, 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 uh, in Morocco, they weren't really doing the right things. Um, but the individual volunteers were often doing side projects that amounted to the right things. It was really an interesting experience that way. Actually, my, my experience was similar to... I actually resigned because I thought we were doing the wrong things. Yeah, we yeah. being asked to do the wrong things. However, my conclusion was that actually the greatest value of the Peace Corps was we all learned a lot. I don't, I'm not sure we did very much <laughs> the countries we, heard, uh, we, 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 we worked in, but boy, did we learn a lot. And the impact of former Peace Corps volunteers on the United States has been enormous. There's ah. an enormous number of PCVs that have served in public service, in academia, and so on, in entrepreneurship... where they learned what they learned coming out of the Peace Corps. So the Peace Corps was a very important human development tool for the United States. You think it was a a, um, um, liberal change training ground of some kind? Perhaps, perhaps. (laughs) So Sergeant Schreiber, what a a sneaky guy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, um, do you have any questions for me? Well, you you touched on something which is, I think, very important, uh, and that is the cultural diversity within Wikipedia. I said it's a very important human development tool. And then you also made the observation of having uh, uh, multiple language Wikipedias beginning to develop around yeah, the world. More than 200 now. More than 200. Yeah. How will that play out? You know, are, 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 are we going to find ways? You know, I, I'm one of the people who believe that uh, language and culture uh, affect your view of reality. Mm-hmm. How you see what you see is literally a function of your language and history mm-hmm. and culture. So uh, as, as Wikipedia emerges and develops, I'm, I'm an old student of the Foundation and the Galactic Encyclopedia. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like Pete Warden, I'm a science fiction fan, and the Galactic <laughs> Encyclopedia, or Encyclopedia Galactica, 
I think is what it was called, uh, was, was an important tool. Are, are we going to see some kind of coherent mutual learning process out of all of these embedded realities in the Wikipedia? You mean are we heading for the, for the Babel time? Well, in a coherent way, I mean a mutual learning way. In other words, will I see for the first time how uh, a person who, think, who, who speaks Bhutanese, uh, thinks in Bhutanese, sees reality fundamentally different because of that? Well, I think, so, so all the big search companies and, and big tech companies use our databases to try to make their uh, machine translation better, better and better and better. And it turns out you always have to have humans interact and tweak at the end. But we're, I think it's, it's the place where simultaneous translation by machine is going to happen or really? where all the learning is going to happen behind it. Because it's a huge database. It's like, you know, and, and it's publicly available. You don't have to break any privacy laws to use it. And so they all kind of line up to use it. Google's done one. Microsoft's done one. And, and what I think we get out of that in the long run might be what you're talking about. I'm not sure how we get the spin on it, though. Um, from, a, from a, like, practice point of view, German Wikipedia is the second largest Wikipedia after English. And they review every edit before it's committed. Every single edit is moderated. So it's not like English Wikipedia where you can change something and see it on the page right away. Um, they do that in the interest of correctness. And that in itself says Because so. it's very German, right? And they only have uh, 900,000 or so articles. They, they like, can't break through the million barrier. Or it's been very hard for them. So I do think that there's a lot of cultural context to how the different ones happen. Sometimes um, Google did this project where they gave a bunch of translations to s certain countries where they were trying to perfect their translation tools. And some of the countries were like, thank you. And others were like, I don't want that. You know, it was very interesting to see who was interested in taking the translation and who wasn't. And some of it, I'm sure, had to do with how good the translation was and whether how it was big work to fix it. But some of it was a national pride thing, like you're an American company and we want to fix this ourselves. So. But is there any ex exploration within the Wikipedia community of trying to kind of map the concepts across. We, we had an anthropologist uh, speaking at, uh, a linguistic anthropologist uh, speaking at Long Now about a year or so ago and was studying a, a, a language in central Brazil mm -hmm. whose perceptual structure was completely different. Uh, time was different. Uh, they didn't really have anything beyond a, a couple days in the past, a couple days in the future. Uh, they didn't have numbers beyond uh, zero, one, many, or zero, one, two, many. Cool. Uh, so there were many elements of uh, uh, fundamental concepts that were very different. Across the various Wikipedias, all these definitions, ideas, uh, are highly cultural, linguistically dependent. Do you study those? Well, so we don't as a foundation, but one of the things about Wikipedia is it's because it's a huge publicly available data set, researchers just love to tiptoe through it. We, mm -hmm. they, there's constantly interesting research. And we try to help them by giving them dumps regularly so that they don't have to crawl through the live site. And, you know, right? We hear a lot of interesting stuff, though. I mean, I know what you're talking about, about language. Supposedly, ancient Greek had no word for blue. Like, skies were purple. And, you know, think about, like, they didn't have the whole spectrum because it hadn't been studied yet. So it's fascinating how it might change your perception of everything. Well, and also right. history. I mean, if, if you were writing the history of the Middle East from the point of view of, say, the Persians, you might write a different history than, say, from the point of view of the Egyptians. Well, that's, this is the thing with China. The reason that they're censoring us is because of the Dalai Lama and Tiananmen Square. Of course. Those two things don't exist. They didn't happen, right? right? And, well, the Dalai Lama exists, but, you know, he's not the guy we know. Right. So... He's the Panchan Lama there, right? And he was a bad guy, and they did a good thing by getting rid of him, and, you know, so... 
Um, and I mean, we have versions of that, right? In English Wikipedia, where there's a lot of editors, 100,000 editors, they spend a fair amount of time trying to erase bias. So there's an article, and it's, it's a fairly extensive article about intelligent design, just like there's one about evolution. And they try really hard not to take sides. It's hard. I mean, we're humans, right? But the intention is to create a compendium of knowledge without bias. And, of course, we have liberal bias, according to Republicans. Every so often they, they scan the um, bios of the you know, various senators, and then we get this note wanting us to change stuff. And DNC does it too. It's, it's really, as a marketing tool, I guess, you know, for your individual self, Wikipedia becomes interesting. But looking, again, looking at the English version against everybody else's version and, and what the differences are and how it's going to affect the future is, is fascinating to me. Um, the idea that people won't in the future have to learn English in order to get access to knowledge is really exciting because what I did in the Peace Corps was teach English. Um, which those people in Morocco needed about as much as, you know, a hole in, the, in their bucket, right? And what they needed to know was how to grow more food so they wouldn't have to buy their food from us. Yeah, I was doing science and math, but that was still <laughs> not. Uh, another Wikipedia subject, governance. So you, are guys, you guys are now, in effect, the arbiters of knowledge. Universities were the arbiters of knowledge before, but, of course, they had departments, academics, they had uh, peer review, they had all these mechanisms developed over hundreds of years by which authority uh, and truth were established. Uh, what's governance like in Wikipedia? It's interesting. So, so I work for the foundation and I work on the engineering side, I'm the CTO. So we kind of create the vehicle, right? The, the content is all created by volunteers, which is amazing to me. Like, we don't write any of it. We've commissioned none of it. It's all written by volunteers. Um, they came up over time with a governance structure for English Wikipedia, which is the one most people mean when they ask the question, that you know, tries to be fair within human experience. It tries to recognize good work and offer more responsibilities. It tries to be a meritocracy. But the human um, nature being what it is, there are little attempts at fiefdom and all that crap too. The good news is that it's because everything is visible, all the edits are visible, all the decisions are pretty much visible, um, there's plenty of opportunity for people to question. It's more, more democratic, I think, than some other forms. You can, there, there are certain pages that are so overburdened by edit that we have to periodically turn the pages off because the opposing factions on Obama want to say he isn't American or he is or he isn't or he isn't. It just gets boring, so we turn it off. Um, but, yeah, the governance question, you're right. Arbiters of knowledge, but it's important to understand the foundation doesn't set those rules. The foundation exists to make the website continue to run. It's the actual contributors that set those rules, and that's open source right there, right? I mean, fundamentally, Wikipedia is the triumph of the Internet and open source in a way. So open knowledge, open culture, the fact that everything's going to be visible, all of your actions are visible, get over it. Right? <laughs> there is no privacy. But if knowledge, is, if knowledge is political, as many people would argue, then can you really be as neutral as you claim? I'm not sure humans can be. It's a really good question. We'll leave that one for the next guy. <laughs> Thank you. This seminar about long-term thinking was brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. Thanks to Fora TV, you can see high-quality videos of the talks online by joining Long Now as a member at longnow.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Stuart Brand.